0: We'll open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11? What? I know. Uh, as I announced and, and shared last week, and I'm not going to rehash all of that, I'd encourage you, if you want to hear any of what I shared about what's happening soon, you can go back and listen to... The entirety of the message or just the first part of it from last week, but we are going to begin a new study through the book of Nehemiah next Sunday, and so really excited for that. We just finished the book of Acts, going to be getting into the book of Nehemiah. Um, But before getting into that next book study, just to kind of help shape and and strengthen and equip us in our own prayer lives, and our own communion with the Lord, and also to help prepare us for Maybe some of the challenges even that will come about through our study of the book of Nehemiah as we're maybe challenged by Nehemiah's prayer life and how he sought the Lord. Um, we're, we're spending two weeks learning from Jesus about how to pray. And so this morning we're, we're finishing a two-part study I've titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, uh, which we're covering in Luke 11 verses 1 through 13. And so part one last week, we studied verses one through four. We looked at that model, that example prayer that Jesus gave in those beginning verses. But in part two, we're going to be studying verses five through 13. Jesus is going to give us a really interesting scenario and a really powerful promise regarding prayer. And so just to help keep the context for where we're at and where we're going, uh, let's read Luke 11 verses one through four together. Luke 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, as we just saw and as we studied last week, this whole teaching we're spending two weeks looking at, came about really because of the impact that jesus prayer life had on his disciples you if you 've ever spent time around somebody that just has a sweetness of of relationship with the Lord and you hear them pray and you've you 've come away going, I want to pray like them i don 't know what it is, but they have this confidence they have this expectancy they have this this faith in their prayers i i want to Pray like them, and maybe you've come away from that asking the Lord a similar question. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, I I want to pray better. I want to know you better. I want to be able to commune with you even better than I do now. And, And that was really what was going on here with Jesus' disciples, and specifically this one disciple at the very least who asked Jesus this question. And as I said last week, I don't believe the emphasis in the model prayer that Jesus gave is as much about specific words to be prayed, that these things have to be prayed every single time. They have to be prayed verbatim. They got to be prayed in this specific order as much as it's dealing with the condition of our hearts before God. But but with those verses in context in mind and and providing really the needed foundation for what we're going to get into in uh, the next verses this morning. Let's read verses five through eight, where Jesus is going to follow up that model prayer he gave by now giving his disciples, giving us a, a real life sort of scenario. And, and so, verse five, Luke goes on to record, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on, uh, on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now when we read this scenario, I think for us coming from a Western culture that don't have the same rules of hospitality that they did in Jesus' time or do in the Eastern culture in general, we may look at this and and immediately come up with our own sort of finger pointing. Like, you know what? This friend that went and asked for the bread, how weird. Like, this person's a weirdo. Like, who does that? Who gets up at midnight and goes to their neighbor's house and goes, "Hey, would you give me some bread? Oh, is it for you? Or are you hungry No, it's not even for me. It's for this friend of mine who came. They showed up out of nowhere, and they need some bread. Well, I don't know them like in our minds, we might play through the scenario and and come to a conclusion that isn't actually what is is accurate, given the the cultural sort of expectation. See, in that culture, there was a level of expectation based upon these certain rules of hospitality. If a friend came to your house unannounced on a journey, whether it was during the day or in the middle of the night, you would welcome them in. You would make sure that them and anyone with them and even their animals were taken care of. You would wash their feet. You would anoint their head with oil. You'd give them the the, the kiss of greeting, like you would do the whole bit. Like that was the expectation. You would do whatever was necessary to take care of these people who came to you. They're relying upon you for help, for a, for a place to land, a, some some calm, a place to sleep. Well, for the person in Jesus' scenario who is hosting the traveler. We see he had no food to provide to the one who was obviously hungry after whatever kind of travel that they had. So he goes to his friend in another home at midnight seeking bread for his guest. Now to us, again, in our Western culture, this scenario is pretty strange, but this wouldn't have been weird given the hospitality of that culture but the response of the friend in Jesus' example would have been actually rude. It would have been rude. It would have been weird to the disciples who Jesus was giving this example to that the friend responded in this way, saying, Don't trouble me. The door shut. My, my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. That person was actually the rude one in the scenario. And and if we put ourselves in that person's position, again, from our context and culture, we wouldn't come away with that. We'd go, yeah, it's midnight. So obviously, like, even that, like, it's midnight. Couldn't you have come to me a few hours ago when I was still awake? Like, it's midnight. He says, the door's shut. Like, I don't have an open door policy like anybody can just come in here and take anything that they need like and my children are with me in bed and in that culture and in that day oftentimes everyone would be sleeping in the same area in the house the, all the bed mats would be rolled out you you wouldn't want to step on your kid's head in the dark maybe you have like a sheep in there with you or some other animal that it happened to be in your home and you You kick one of the animals, and the animals like making noise, or your kid starts crying, and then all of a sudden, everyone's awake. Thanks a lot, pal. You wanted three loaves of bread? Like, go to the store. They didn't, that's not how it worked. See, even though the rules of hospitality were there, and not being hospitable was considered dishonorable, could even cause the whole village to want to disassociate with you it it did not and does not mean that friendship demands that hospitality be shown see with friendship expectancy isn't always met with a positive response if you've ever been the one being woken up in the middle of the night by someone else you probably know that to be true it doesn't necessarily demand a positive response like oh i'm fine I know you woke me up in the middle of the night, but I'm, it's cool. You're like, what are you doing? Why did you call me? Like, what's happening? Is it an emergency? No? Call me back in the morning. But let's look at how Jesus concludes the scenario in verse 8. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The the friend being woken up at midnight by by the friend asking for the three loaves of bread wasn't willing to be hospitable to his friend because of their friendship. That wasn't enough motivation for him to get up, disturb his whole family, and, and get the bread. But he finally got up and gave him the bread he asked for because the friend was persistent. When I read that, my... The obvious for me is the friend just wouldn't shut up. He's persistent. The friend's knocking. I'm sleeping. Like, hey, I need some bread. Hey, pal, I need some bread. I got some friends over. Can you give me some bread? No. Like, it just kept going. The friend keeps asking and seeking out the bread and it keeps knocking on the friend's door there's a this asking and seeking and knocking and the friend's just like i don't want to do it but i don't want you to disturb my family i don't want to hear you all night knocking on my door i don't want to hear you asking continually for bread like fine i'll give you the bread The friend wasn't going to leave until he got the bread for his house guest. See, the, this friend who was sleeping and had the extra bread was a bad example of hospitality. In Jesus' example, really, he's a bad friend. And in the end, his heart was in the wrong place, even once he finally gave the bread that his friend needed. He didn't give it because he's like, yeah, let me bless you. He's like, I just want you to go away. You know, the question we should ask ourselves is, why is Jesus giving us this scenario in this teaching he's giving on prayer? That's the context. He's teaching on prayer. What's what's the takeaway for you and me? How are we to to read this and go, okay, cool. This is going to help me in my prayer life. You know, we might ask ourselves, is Jesus painting a picture of the father as being like the friend with the bread who got woken up in the middle of the night, that that the, the friend is sleeping, the father is sleeping, he's distant, he's disconnected, he's he's unaware of what's going on in our lives. Is is Jesus trying to paint the father as being grouchy and irritable when we go to him in prayer? Is Is Jesus trying to tell us that the father doesn't really want to give us the things that we're asking for in prayer or maybe that in order for the father to answer our prayers we have to bug and pester him until he he acts reluctantly on our behalf you know the, all of those questions are 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 ways that people oftentimes view the father when it comes to prayer and these these thoughts, these perspectives come from not knowing the Father's character or having an unhealthy view of who He is. But, but none of those things are true of our Heavenly Father. You now, one of the reasons Jesus gives this scenario, I believe, is, is to help clear away any wrong mindsets that we might have when it comes to us coming to the Father in prayer. Jesus is highlighting a good friend who's shown all the cultural hospitalities to his journeying friend, and he's highlighting a bad friend who has disregarded all the cultural hospitalities in helping his friend who came for him, uh, came to him for help so that we wouldn't see prayer in this sort of way, and that we would see this really stark contrast between this scenario here And what Jesus is going to tell us in the next portion of verses. Remember, Jesus has already established that our access in prayer comes through relationship with having God as our Father. Which is only possible through a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Where we are born again, brought into the family of God because of what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. We have to remember that we don't come to God on the basis of friendship. Because you know what? Sometimes friends don't want to do the friendly sort of thing. Like in this scenario. No, we come to God on the basis of sonship. Being his sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. Understand, Jesus wasn't teaching that the only way to have our prayers answered is by our persistence in prayer. And he's definitely not comparing God to this man who only helps because he's irritated. But in giving this scenario, he's now going to give this contrast, as I said, to show that God the Father is not like this man, but that he does desire for us to continually come to him. In prayer. And so, with that, let's continue on where we're going to see this really awesome promise that Jesus gives regarding prayer in verses 9 through 13. Jesus goes on in verse 9 to say, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Well, you know, if the father's messed up, he will. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Just a real quick aside. Isn't this the way that some people think that the Father is? Like, if I give myself over to the will of God, He's gonna make me do something that I really don't wanna do. He's gonna put me in a really bad situation. He's gonna make me marry somebody that I don't wanna marry. If I surrender myself to the will of God, if I say, Father, your will be done, He's gonna make me go to some third world country where I have to eat bugs. He's going to give me a scorpion. He's going to give me a serpent. I'm asking him for a fish. I'm asking him for an egg. I'm asking him for something good. I'm asking him for something I need, my body needs, my, 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 my spiritual self needs, and he's going, to, he's going to give me something that's harmful. He's going to put me in a position where, like, I just I hate my life now. And I love that Jesus is dispelling all this as he's giving these examples He's talked about this friend going, he's asking and seeking and knocking and and he didn't get it because the friend was kind and, and wanted to show up in that sort of way and now he's going, but let me tell you something. And I love that about Jesus. He's going, let me tell you how it really is. I have the authority to give this sort of promise. When you come to the Father and you ask, it'll be given. And when you seek, you'll find. And when you knock, it'll be opened. He's different. He goes on to say in verse 13, if you then being evil, imagine how that might have hurt some pride. Evil? I'm evil? I don't do that, Jesus. I would never give my kid, I mean, maybe if that's all I had was a stone. Or a serpent or a scorpion. That's that's the only time. <laughs> I didn't have any bread, I didn't have an egg, I didn't have fish. I had to give him the stone. I told him to skip it. Go skip it in Galilee. No. Sorry. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more. How much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him let's let's unroll this a little bit more we have to keep the context of this whole teaching in mind as we read jesus say all this because you know when we read verses 9 and 10 the asking the seeking the knocking you receive you find it's opened you know we might want to know how can my prayer life look like what jesus promises in verses 9 to 10. How can I have this sort of like I I came to him and then I got it and I knocked and it was open. You know I think the the first thing that's hugely important to keep in mind when reading these verses is to know who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to his disciples who had denied self and picked up their cross and, and followed after Jesus. These people had Put all of their, they put everything in Jesus' camp. All of my life belongs to Jesus. I'm completely surrendered to him. Everything about my life is about Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, you guys, because you're making your life all about me. You're going to ask, you'll, it'll be given. This isn't a general statement that applies to all of humanity. It's a specific statement that applies to a specific group of people, and that's to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and have surrendered their lives to the lordship of Jesus. I think a lot of times people, they'll come and, okay, Jesus, I, I, I want your salvation. I'll receive your salvation. But, but there's, there's this other part where it's like, but I'm still going to live for me. And Lord, bless me in that. Lord, give me the things that I want in this place of, I still have some rebellion to you. I'm not really walking in obedience to you. My life's not really fully surrendered to you. So Lord, but still I want to ask and receive. I want to seek and find. I want to knock and have it be open every single time. And, and, and I think we got, keeping in the context here, this sort of confidence, this sort of all of this coming to fruition, the way that Jesus is saying we we miss some of it when our lives are we're sort of a, a a a fair weather disciple of Jesus. See, when when it comes to prayer, the only place where confidence is found is in the place of a personal saving relationship with Jesus. But but once that relationship has been established, I'm sure we all want to know, how how can I be confident coming to the Father in prayer? Because when I read what Jesus is saying in the text before us, it's clear that he wants us to come boldly and confidently in prayer. He's not saying, ask and maybe, maybe you'll receive. Check out what the Apostle John said in 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. And and John in no way contradicting what Jesus is saying here. But the Holy Spirit using John to bring greater clarity later on in, in John's life to sort of the confidence that we can have. He says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. John says this is the confidence we can have. If we ask anything in accordance with God's will, he hears us, but notice what he does not say. He doesn't say that whatever we ask for, will be given to us there's no support given here for the bad false misleading theology of the prosperity movement like you just claim it and it's yours i don't know why but in my instagram like feed i keep getting these inspirational spiritual quotes that come up and they're all prosperity it's 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 pray this prayer. I am successful. Okay. (laughs) I have that job. (laughs) I am rich. Like, it's just all these things where it's like, I don't, that's not even in scripture. I don't see that anywhere. I want a red Ferrari. But I claimed it. It's mine now in the name of Jesus. You know? And that's right. At the end of that inspirational quote, in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Like, wow. Like, where did we, how, the, how in the world did we come to that? Like, where is that? I know what my will is at times. It's not always in line with God's will. Let me. I just want to give us a real quick biblical tip here. You you want to know how to pray in accordance with God's will? This is like the simplest thing ever. Pray God's word. You want to know how to pray in accordance with God's will? Pray God's word. When God makes a promise in his word, when he says something in his word that is a, hey, I'm confirming this to you. I will do this. When you pray that you can know that you're praying in accordance with God's word because you're praying, uh, I'm sorry, in accordance with God's will, because you're praying in accordance with his word, what he said already he would do. There's no I don't have any greater confidence than when I'm already praying the things that God said, I want to do this. Cool, Lord. Then I'm gonna trust that you are. I'm gonna pray that you will. See, in order to pray according to the will of God, our lives must be lining up with the will of God. If the condition of our lives as believers, or I'm sorry, the the condition of our lives as believers can negatively affect how God views and answers our prayers. The first way we see this is if a child of God has unrepentant sin in their life. I spoke into this last week, so I'm not going to give the supporting verses again, but but sin breaks fellowship. And when there's sin in a believer's life that isn't being dealt with, isn't being confessed to God and repented of the only prayer he wants to hear from that person is a prayer asking God for forgiveness. Lord, let's deal with the elephant in the room. I've got sin that I'm not dealing with. And if... And if I'm leaving that there, how can I think that I can just, God, bless me in this. God, be in, you know, God, do this thing. And he's like, but I want to deal with the thing that's actually, it's damaging our relationship with him. Sometimes we just want to sweep that thing under the rug. He's like, no, let's deal with it. Get it out into the light. Let's deal with that thing. I I don't want you to just kind of compartmentalize your sin. I want to... I want to cleanse it. I want to deliver you from it. We can't begin to pray in line with the will of God. If our lives are out of line with the will of God, when it comes to living a life where sin is held on to and, and our fellowship with God is being damaged. Again, the condition of our lives as believers can negatively affect God viewing and answering our prayers. And the second way we see this is if a child of God is praying with the wrong motivation. Check out what James said in his letter to, to other believers. He's speaking to believers here. He's writing to believers. James 4 verses 1 through 3. James writes this. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Well, UFC, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. Just a do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Isn't that interesting? He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. He says, You fight and you yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask. Amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. James is basically saying, look, maybe the reason you don't have is because you're not asking God for that thing or those things that are in your heart. So go back to what Jesus said. Ask and seek and knock. We can go to the Lord with things. You know, sometimes when we bring even our bad motivation to the Lord, when we bring it before him and, we, can, and we, we hold even the bad motivation with open hands before the Lord, he's able then to go, let's deal with the motivation here. Like, I, I care about the thing that's in your heart. I, I, I hear you. But like, as we bring those things to the Lord, even the things that we're not sure if it's me or of the Lord, is this thing of me? Is this thing of God? Bring it to him. Let him sift it out. Let him, let him get in there with that, that, that sickle and just kind of whack away at maybe even some of our prayers to where the, the chaff is able to be separated. And he goes, that's the thing. That's, that was the thing that I wanted to do. So we bring those things to him. But then he, James follows that up by saying, but if you're asking and not receiving... So you are praying, but you're not seeing that positive response. It could be because you're asking with selfish motivation. Your heart's not in the right place. See, wrong motivation, selfish motivation can negatively affect God answering our prayers. Why? Because it's about us. It's not about God. It's not about God's kingdom. It's not about his will. It's not about what's going to be a blessing to others. It's not what's going to be building someone up in Christ. It's it's, it's me. And when my motivation is me, Lord, do this because... Lord, would you you work in this way? Because you just want it for you. That motivation will... Negatively affect God answering our prayers, but I, I would follow that up even by saying, look when we when God exposes some of those wrong motivations, those selfish motivations, praise God for that, because we have an opportunity then to surrender the bad motivation, the selfish motivation to him, and say lord i'm sorry, my motivation was off like my heart was not in the right place like God, forgive me for that. And then he's able to sift through that again and, and, and redirect our prayers even. But the third way that we really see this clearly in Scripture, and, and there's, there's other ways. I'm not saying there's only these three ways. But, but the, the third way that we really see this clearly in Scripture is when it comes to how a husband treats his wife in a marriage relationship. Listen to what Peter says to husbands in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. After just having spoken to the wives, he says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, speaking of the wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, that vessel of honor, a vessel of immense value. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, notice that your prayers may not be hindered. So for us husbands in this room, how we dwell with our wife matters greatly to God, matters. If we aren't giving honor to them, that matters to God. If we're not valuing, treasuring them as God wants us to, that matters. If we're not treating them as a fellow heir of God's amazing grace, his salvation, our prayers will be hindered. There's not too many places in Scripture where we see this so explicitly spoken to us. What will damage our prayer life? And this is one of those places. Why? Because, guys, as husbands, we've been given immense responsibility. We've been given this immense treasure in our wife. If we're a married man in here, in this room, that that we got to, we've got to pay attention to what the Lord's saying here. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. You know, these are just a few areas for us to do a little self-check to see if there's anything in our lives that would potentially hinder our prayers, anywhere maybe where repentance is, is needed so that we can have the kind of confidence that God wants us to have in coming to him in prayer. Now, this doesn't mean God is requiring perfection on our part before he'll hear and, and answer our prayers. Like if you're not doing every one of these things to a T, then I'll never hear you, I'll never answer your prayers. B- but a grieving and quenching of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in these areas because of our pride and a lack of repentance will rob us of the kind of confidence and prayer that God desires us to have. Guys, if we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God by our life, if we're quenching, we're stamping out what the Spirit of God is wanting to do, that's not a confident place to be in. That's a place of like, I just need to, like, I gotta get on my face before the Lord. Like, I gotta surrender afresh my, my, my myself, my will to Him. Now, we have to understand that the promise that Jesus is giving to us in verses 9 and 10 of Luke chapter 11, it, it's rooted in and flows out of what Jesus has described earlier in this chapter in verses 2 through 4. See, when our lives are characterized by worship of God, reverence of him and his nature and his character, when we're living for his kingdom and not our own, his will and not our own, when we're humbly relying and and depending upon him for daily provision and help when we're continually confessing and repenting of our sin and and forgiving others when we're living lives of victory over temptation and the evil and we can have the kind of confidence in prayer that Jesus is describing in verses 9 and 10 but but look again one more time at uh, time at those two verses 9 and 10 it says Jesus saying, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Many of you probably know this already, but the way that this is written in the Greek language is it's written in the, the present imperative. So, that informs the way that we then read it. it doesn't, those things don't always come through in our, our English translation. But, but literally what Jesus is saying here to us based upon how this is uh, in the Greek language, Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Th- this is what God is desiring our prayer life To look like consistent, continual, faith-filled, dependent, and confident that God will show up in ways that only he can. George Mueller, a man who knew the power of prayer, saw God provide miraculously for, for thousands of orphans as he just prayed for and relied upon God's Provision, he said this about prayer. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer isn't for the purpose of changing God's mind or or moving him to action. We don't persist in prayer because bugging him bends his will. No, it's through prayer that God changes our minds and conforms our will to his and moves us to action. What Jesus is doing is is he's he's imparting great confidence and expectancy to us when it comes to prayer so that we'll have a lifestyle of asking and seeking and and knocking, a, a lifestyle of continual and intimate prayer with our Father. But, but something else here, in contrast with a friend who had to be persistent in asking and seeking and knocking, in, in order for the reluctant and irritable friend to finally get up and give him the bread he needed, Jesus from a place of complete authority is telling us to come to the Father in prayer through, through this continual asking and seeking and knocking and, and that the one who does that will have the confidence, the assurance that what's asked will be given, that what they're seeking they'd find and what they were knocking for would be open to them with no reluctance, no irritation at all. But let's see how Jesus concludes this teaching in verses 11 through 13. He says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The the father doesn't deal with us on the basis of an irritable and inconsiderate friend. No, he deals with us on the basis that he is our good father and we are his son's and daughters, and notice from Jesus' example of how an earthly father gives good gifts and not messed up, harmful gifts to their children, that the best of fathers in this world are evil in comparison with how good our heavenly father is to us. It, you know, I think a lot of times people may have a hard time in approaching God as father because, you know what? What they knew of a father was not very good. So when God's described as this heavenly father, they're, they're going, well, my father was messed up. My father gave me a stone and serpent and a scorpion. I didn't get good gifts. Or maybe I didn't have that time. I didn't, I didn't get that compassion. I didn't have a kind and gentle dad. I didn't have a dad who was present Or accessible. Maybe he was disconnected and irritable. And how important it would be to have Jesus lay this out for all of us to go, he's not like that. He's not like that. If that was your upbringing, if that's the kind of baggage, if you will, that you bring to the table in your relationship with God, to be able to go, Okay, this was my experience, but but Father, you're different. <laughs> you're good. You're accessible. You know what's going on. You hear me. You never turn me away. You, you love me. You sacrifice for me. You're gracious and merciful and forgiving and patient. And there may be some obstacles to overcome for some in coming to the Father, but for some of us that maybe had good dads, we can take this and go, "Cool, I, 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 I kind of, I have a good starting point to be able to come to the Father." But look, if if a father with an with an evil, sinful nature can give good gifts to their kids, how much more? will our heavenly father who's perfect and perfectly loving, gracious and kind and compassionate give the holy spirit to those who ask him. And it, and it, for me this is really interesting that Jesus ends this the way that he does. He doesn't say and so when you're, you know, when you're asking for this or when you're asking for that, then then this this and this he goes how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the conclusion that Jesus comes to. And, and you know, we may read through it and we just kind of gloss over that part. Like, cool, Heavenly, you know. But he gives, you know, maybe we go back to Matthew's, you know, when Jesus kind of gave this in the Sermon on the Mount that that he said he gives good gifts to those Ask, but, but here, as his disciples are asking him this question, he says he gives the Holy Spirit. And, and to think about all the times when you and I are asking for all these different things, that you know what, if, if we just had the Spirit of God moving in our life in an even deeper and broader and more extensive way, how much more blessed we would be. How how much more at peace we would be? How much much more joy would we have and and boldness and confidence in coming to the Father would we have if if we just had more of his spirit working in our lives, directing our prayers, motivating us in our daily lives, empowering us to bring glory to God? Like How much of of what we're asking is actually fulfilled in us just having his spirit? Sometimes I think, man, if I just get this thing, if this thing works out in my life, then then that's the solution. That's going to be the good gift. That's the thing. When oftentimes what I'm needing is just, I need the Spirit of God working in my life. You need the Spirit of God working in your life and in your circumstances. And not in a kooky way. This This is Jesus giving us proper theology. The Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. How often do we ask Him for His Spirit? Is it daily? Or, or, you know, well, you gave me the Holy Spirit. You you regenerated me and you you sealed me with your Spirit, Father, on the day that I put my trust in Jesus Christ. But, But this isn't Jesus going, this is just for the moment of your salvation. This is a continual asking and seeking and knocking. How often do we approach the Father in this continual way? Lord, give me your spirit. Lord, give me your spirit. I need the work of your spirit in my life. In this situation, in this relationship, in my workplace, with, with my family members, with my neighbors, Lord, your spirit. I need your spirit working in me and through me. We can ask and seek and knock for a lot of things. But Jesus is saying the best gift that we could get is the one that only the Father can give. And it's his spirit. (laughs) And he wants us to persevere in prayer, clearly. Not because, again, our bugging is what gets us the thing. But because oftentimes we grow faint in prayer. We grow discouraged in prayer. I don't see the answer. I don't see the change. I don't see the thing working out. I don't see the healing happening. This family member is still not walking with the Lord. This coworker is still really difficult to deal with. This neighbor is still a problem. And then when we don't see anything change, we, our knock starts to get a little less confident little more faint and then we just take our hand from the door maybe I'll ask occasionally but I don't see that in what Jesus is saying here I see Jesus going keep going keep going keep persevering keep asking keep seeking keep knocking It's not because the Father, He's not in bed. He's not, I don't want to cause a ruckus. I don't really want to move. Like, give me some time. Wait till the morning. That's not Him. I think we need God to build into us an endurance in prayer. Because when stuff doesn't work out and stuff's not coming into place and we don't see the thing happening that we're praying for, we just. The, the weight of that thing, it just weighs us down to the point where we don't even look up anymore. That we would just be able, maybe even today, to get our gaze back on the Father and say, Father, you're good. You're good in spite of the things that are going on in my life. And I can come to you, and you want me to come to you, and you have a will. And, and I want to know what that will is, and Lord, help me to pray in accordance with your will. Lord I need your spirit right now and in 2 minutes from now and in 2 hours from now and in 2 weeks from now and in 2 years from now Lord every day and every moment I need your spirit working in my life your spirit who points me back to Jesus your spirit that's always working to glorify you Father I need your spirit Lord help me and lead me and 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 direct my prayers and direct my life but Lord Build into me an endurance and a perseverance in prayer. Help me to not give up. Look, the, the character and nature of our Heavenly Father should influence the kind of confidence and expectancy and boldness that you and I have in prayer. He's good. He's good. He's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not Some of you're like, "But I like snakes." No, not that kind. He won't give you something harmful. He's not unkind. He's not cruel. He's good. And he's accessible and he sees and he knows and he's he's acquainted with all of our ways. He knows that we are but dust. And yet he still loves us and he's still there with us. And he's working. We trust him even when we don't see the answer to our prayers. Maybe for some of us today, that's the thing that we need to be praying about. Lord, help me to trust you right now when I don't see the thing working out. Help me to trust you right now when I'm not seeing this change take place when I don't know how the provision's going to happen, whatever that might be. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. Look, you know, some of us may be praying about some things for a long time. Maybe we've been praying for something for what seems like ages. Don't give up. Don't give up. I want us to believe Jesus at his word here. If Jesus says, so I say to you, well, cool. Jesus, you're giving me confidence. You're giving me assurance. You said, so I say to you, do this, and this is what the Father will do. Then, Jesus, I'm going to believe you at your word. That, That maybe there are things in some of our lives that, that could be hindering our prayer prayers. Maybe there is sin that's not being dealt with, repented of. Maybe there's selfish motivation. Maybe for any husbands in here that maybe we haven't been loving our wives the way that we should. Whatever that might be that doesn't belong in our lives, we need to go to God with those things. Repent of the things that need to be repented of and And ask God to restore that closeness of fellowship with him. But I also want to remind us this morning of the character of our father. He's not like the jacked up friend. He's not like the father who could give a stone or a snake or a scorpion. He's not reluctant. He's not bugged. And he's infinitely better than the best earthly father we could ever see as an example. And this morning, he wants to give us his spirit. Maybe, though, you've come and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That first thing, that first step, is actually for you to just cry out to the Lord and say, Father, save me. <laughs> Forgive me. Be my Lord. I wanna give that opportunity this morning if that's anybody here and you're going, look, I, I've come, I'm hearing all these things about prayer and you know what, that, that sonship aspect of things, that you would be a son or daughter of God by faith in Christ, that thing has to be in place. There is no other way. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. There's no side road and if that's you this morning and you're going, look, I want, I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know I'm forgiven and accepted by God. Do you just stand where you're at? If that's anybody this morning, you're going, look, that's me and, and I want, I want Jesus to save me. You know, maybe today you're in that place of, look, you've been growing faint, weary in prayer and this morning, you're going, look, I need that. I need the Lord's help. I need him to fill me with his spirit and, and continue to give me his spirit. I need that perseverance and endurance. I'd love to pray for you if that's you. Would you stand where you're at and you're going, that's me. I just I need the Lord to meet me this morning, maybe in, a, in just a fresh way. You're not unspiritual for saying, Lord, I need you to, I need you to help me. I need you to meet me this morning. Maybe this morning you're just going. You know what? I I've not been asking for His Spirit. This morning I just want the Father to give me a Spirit once again. Awesome Lord, I pray for these who are standing. Lord, you know each of their lives. Lord, you know each of their stories, their situations. God, you know the state of their hearts. You know, Lord, those deep longings, God, and those things that they've been praying for, maybe for some who have just grown weary in prayer, praying for something. Well, Lord, would you meet them and strengthen them? God, would you give them perseverance and endurance? Help them to trust you, Lord, even when they haven't seen you move in the way that they've asked. Lord, help them to trust you, that you're moving even though they're not seeing it the way that they want to. God, maybe for those that are just saying this morning, I I just want the spirit of God poured out upon me afresh today. To say, Father, give me your spirit. Lord, would you do that? Lord, you see the, the longings of our hearts, God, that ultimately what we need, your spirit supplies God may we, we may have a lot of requests but God how much of, of of what we're actually asking for is fulfilled and you father actually just giving us your spirit in abundance and so Lord would you pour out Lord would you meet would you strengthen would you encourage would you give hope Lord would you be working in those things God you know those situations Lord that each person are, are praying about. God, we ask, as you said through the pen of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, that you would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think to your glory. Lord, do, have your way. Lord, let your will be done. God, this morning we just entrust ourselves. Our situations, Lord, we entrust, God, the lives of others. We entrust this church into your hands. Have your way, Lord. Your Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Father, as we want to just respond to your word with songs of praise, taking the communion elements, remembering Jesus, what you've done for us, getting prayed for if that's some this morning that just need someone to pray for them in person lord i just pray god that you continue to move in this time lord god we give you all the control lord you're lord you're god so lord we just surrender afresh to you this morning and we thank you father we praise you we rejoice in who you are that you're a good father father Jesus' name. Amen.